0: chapter seven of some american story-tellers by frederick tabor cooper this librivox recording is in the public domain seven robert herrick it was in the autumn of eighteen ninety seven that professor robert herrick who occupies the chair of rhetoric in the university of chicago produced a novel entitled the gospel of freedom his name at that time was not quite unknown in fiction thanks to a few earlier efforts more notable for manner than for content yet the gospel of freedom came quite unheralded a glad surprise to the serious student of fiction who at that period was forced to take a rather pessimistic view of the future of the american novel one did not need to read a dozen pages before discovering that here was a man who was familiar with the best of what the modern french school has to offer who understood wherein lay the strength of maupassant of bourget of zola and in a tentative and by no means inadequate way was trying to profit by their teaching its theme was one already familiar to readers of continental literature the revolt of the modern neurotic woman against the trammels of social conventions the awakening of the unhappily mated wife to a sense of her inborn right to live her own life in her own way in other words it was a variation of the underlying motif of magda of hedda gabler of the doll's house executed with a nice appreciation of european craftsmanship and an equally subtle insight into peculiarly american conditions altogether it was a book of big promise in spite of considerable unevenness and here and there a touch that was almost crude at the time it looked bigger no doubt than it does today. as we glance back at it along the vista of his later achievements one realises now that he had not yet found himself that he was working a trifle uncertainly with tools not quite adapted to his needs experiencing the dilemma of a foreign trained machinist attempting to put together american-made implements with nuts and screws cut to a scale of centimeters instead of inches what he had not yet learned to do and what he soon realized that he must learn before success could come was to adapt continental methods to anglo-saxon needs to revise his craftsmanship with the same independent courage with which from the beginning he had chosen his themes it was during this transition period this process of finding himself of discovering just what he was trying to do and how he was trying to do it that the two books of least interest as stories and of least worth in point of technique were written the web of life and the real world one feels in reading them over again today, that the two titles in some degree symbolize the mental attitude of their author at that time like his heroes mr herrick was finding the threads of life's web in a rather sorry tangle and was groping for a solution of the world's real meaning and so inevitably they forced the reader to do some little groping on his own account in short like many another author's second and third book they were disappointing and people who had based their faith upon the gospel of freedom were justified in asking is mr herrick destined to remain in the rank of writers of a single book but the appearance in due course of time of the common lot and its still more virile successor the memoirs of an american citizen answered this question with a vigorous and welcome negative and foreshadowed the coming of the volume which remains to this day not only mr herrick's biggest achievement but the finest boldest most representative piece of american fiction that has appeared within the past decade together and this statement is made not merely with mr herrick's subsequent volume a life for a life clearly in mind but largely for the purpose of discriminating sharply against it a life for a life represents as we shall presently see a curious and it is to be hoped a transient apostasy something still remains in it of the old herrick certain pages here and there of a purely pictorial character flash forth with a graphicness that is almost cruel in its unsparing truth the swarming turgid city life of to-day none the less when the sum total of its plus and minus values has been honestly taken a life for a life must be set down upon the debit side of its author's literary account in other words it is a rather audacious rather splendid failure but before considering this new phase of mr herrick's development it is essential to run over quite briefly his earlier novels and thus obtain a bird's-eye view of what in each case he has tried to do and how far he has succeeded in doing it the first thing of which you become aware in taking up the gospel of freedom is the initial debt which its author owed to ibsen and Zudelman and to that whole tendency in drama and fiction that took its impulse from Hymath and hedda in other words its theme is in the main the spirit of revolt of the modern restless somewhat neurotic woman against the established conventions and the tragedy which such a revolt entails because the woman fails to understand that freedom is something that must start from within and not from without something that cannot be acquired by a mere payment of money or a flagrant breaking of the marriage bond adela anton is too healthy-minded a young woman to be classed with the magdas and heddas of the old world but she has to a large extent a strain of what for lack of a preciser term is wont to be stigmatized artistic temperament she does not quite despise the brick industry on which the colossal fortune of the antons has been reared nor the comfortable blocks of brick stock which form her independent means but she does rebel against the prescribed routine of her conventional social life forces her family to allow her the semi-liberty of a course in the paris art schools and at the opening of the book seems in a fair way to marry simeon herrard a penniless dabbler in art a parasite on her uncle's bounty who has shown much promise in a dozen different lines and accomplishment in none but before she makes up her mind to bestow her hand and fortune on herrard in fact before herrard has made up his mind to ask her a restless energetic successful young westerner john wilbur who is spending a hard-earned vacation in paris takes her by storm dazzles her with the picturesque account of his big achievements in irrigation machinery and more particularly his conquest over men and over natural forces marriage with him would mean a splendid partnership a new and undreamed of freedom an opportunity to have a share in the world's big enterprises the awakening comes quickly marriage she learns with a shock is not a partnership it has its obligations against which she rebels mutely but of compensations in the shape of an understanding and interest in her husband's vast business schemes she finds there is nothing for her within a year after her marriage she is declaring bitterly there is no freedom for women they are marked incapable from their birth and are supported by men for some obvious and necessary services between times they have a few indifferent joys dealt out to them but what brings about the final wreck of her marriage is not merely temperamental incompatibility but a difference in standards of honour and business integrity wilbur's business conscience is elastic if he does not actually have a hand in bribing the legislature to pass certain railroad measures that send stocks and bonds soaring upward he does participate in the profits and what adela finds impossible to forgive is that the very house she lives in is paid for with what she persists in regarding as stolen money then follow the death of her only child the arrival in chicago of simeon herrard and his somewhat too pronounced friendship with adela her husband's rather vulgar jealousy of the artist and finally adela's open revolt her refusal to live any longer in a marriage that she feels is only a bondage and her departure to paris for an indefinite period reckless of conventions she openly flaunts her friendship with Herard a friendship which in her defiant mood she is willing to let drift to any length but herrard coldly working for his own best interest bides his time until the news comes that her husband through the courts has given the wife her freedom in this however he overreaches himself this subservience to the world's opinion on the part of the man who had taught her to despise conventions and to whom until now she would willingly have given herself brands him in her eyes a hypocrite with whom life would be simply another and ignobler form of bondage she realises at last that in her rebellion she has not been attaining freedom but simply beating herself impotently against the bars of a prison largely of her own making it has seemed worth while to examine the gospel of freedom at some length because in it we find already well developed the two themes that in one form or another underlie all mr herrick's subsequent work the discords of sex and the discords of commercialism adela wilbur's repudiation of her marriage duties john wilbur's repudiation of the highest standards of business integrity are only the first instances in a long series of lives that mr herrick shows us wrecking themselves on the same dangerous shoals the web of life and the real world his next two books in point of time need only a brief mention because they are rather loose in structure and of no great significance in the history of his development the web of life may be conveniently defined as a male gospel of freedom a man's rebellion against the obligations which the world's conventions thrust upon him just as adela wilbur rebelled against the obligations that life laid upon her howard Summers is a promising young physician whose good fortune it is to find on landing in chicago that some old friends of the family the influential and wealthy hitchcocks are disposed to help him that the daughter louise hitchcock looks upon him with favour that a place is open for him on the staff of the famous dr lindsay in short that he is on the high road to fortune but his professional conscience will not leave him in peace his impractical ideals teach him that it is wrong for a physician to accept payment beyond a mere pittance his intolerance of the conventions of a fashionable practice makes his early expulsion from dr lindsay's office a foregone conclusion and the long disheartening hand-to-mouth struggle that follows with all its inherent miseries and the incidental loss of the woman he loves is needful to bring him to a sane understanding of the necessity of accepting the world as it is and effecting an honourable compromise between reality and our ideals the real world while it is an attempt to develop still further this same idea is mainly interesting as a study of individual lives the gradual building up of jack pemberton's character from his early boyhood isolated on a small farm on the maine coast until he finally achieves success prosperity and happiness is undoubtedly a fine and strong piece of portraiture executed with a more assured touch than mr herrick had previously achieved the high purposes which take permanent hold upon the lad at the prompting of a girl seemingly forever beyond his reach and which continue to force him onward and upward step by step even when the girl herself has disappointed his ideals and would have dragged him down with her are all interpreted with such sympathetic understanding that the secrets of a human soul are laid bare before us and we understand minutely and intimately how jack pemberton succeeded in his endeavor to keep faith with life but mr herrick's strength lies not in the probing analysis of individual lives but in the broad comprehensive interpretation of human motives and tendencies in the mass and this gift of generalization this rare ability to treat life on an epic scale with a bold sweep of brush strokes an imposing breadth of canvas has developed and progressed steadily with each successive volume up to the full ripeness of together the first of his stories however that showed clearly wherein his real strength lay was the common lot like all stories of the bigger type it has a twofold motive first a specific story of the struggle of a young architect between his artistic ideals on the one hand and business success on the other secondly the big general far-reaching problem whether the common lot the comparative obscurity and narrowness of the vast majority of lives is not better and happier than wealth and position attained at the cost of self-esteem francis jackson begins with splendid ambitions and had the millionaire uncle who gave him his training at the paris beaux-arts also made him his heir instead of leaving the bulk of his fortune to found an industrial school the nephew might never have felt the temptation to be untrue to his art or to compromise with his conscience but under the goad of vanity and ambition and a feverish desire for wealth he yields to the tempting offers of a dishonest contractor consents little by little to turn out inferior work to permit shameless tampering with specifications to connive at the bribery of building inspectors in short to lend himself to every crooked trick known to the profession and one fine day retribution overtakes him he is disgraced in the eyes of his friends and relatives because they discover that the industrial school erected under his direction with his uncle's money is a fraudulent piece of work from cellar to roof this however can be and is hushed up but another and worse disaster follows The destruction by fire of a so called fireproof hotel, which, with his full knowledge, the contractor has so skimped and slighted that it is little more than a cardboard death trap. And even if the scandal could be silenced, Jackson could never silence the memory of the victims' screams as they flung themselves from the windows or fell inward to a still worse fate. The experience leaves Francis Jackson a sadder but far wiser architect. And although he lives down the scandal, he has learned his lesson well that it is better to share the common lot and be at peace with oneself than at the cost of self-respect to attain wealth and power and the envious admiration of the world because there are few things that make any great difference to real men and women and one of the least is the casual judgment of their fellow-men the memoirs of an american citizen which might with equal aptitude have been called the confessions of a chicago packer treats more specifically and from the opposite point of view the whole big problem of honest and dishonest business methods edward harrington comes to chicago a friendless lad without money or prospects he begins as driver for a retail market and from this he works himself up step by step by clever tricks unscrupulous moves dishonest deals and combinations until he ends as controlling power of the meat trust master of the destinies of many railways banks and trust companies and united states senator from illinois there is not a step in his upward path that by the higher standards of honesty is quite beyond reproach not an achievement that is not somewhere besmirched yet as he unfolds this very frank and ingenuous chronicle you feel that the man is honest in his frankness that he believes himself to be in the right and justifies to himself each and every questionable act he believes that it is best for the world that he shall succeed and in order to succeed he must fight the world with its own weapons and at the end he looks out over the city of chicago with its drifting smoke its ceaseless traffic i too was a part of this the thought of my brain the labor of my body the will within me had gone to the making of this world there were my plants my car-line my railroads my elevators my lands all good tools in the infinite work of this world conceived for good or for ill brought into being by fraud or daring what man could judge their worth there they were a part of god's great world they were done and mine was the hand let another more perfect turn them to a larger use nevertheless on my labour on me he must build involuntarily my eyes rose from the ground and looked straight before me to the vista of time surely there was another scale a grander one and by this i should not be found wholly wanting there in a paragraph we get the colossal egotistical invincible confidence of the successful magnet in the justice of his cause and yet had he stopped here mr herrick's picture would have remained unfinished and not quite convincing but with unerring instinct he has added here and there the needful little ironic touch this masterful man so sure of himself so infallible so far beyond the reach of malice or envy knows that there are just two or three people in the world whose approbation he craves and cannot win the old judge who once befriended him and now does not see him when they pass the trusted employee who will no longer serve him his brother's wife who in early days might have been his own had he chosen to speak and who now would starve and see her family starve with her rather than take a penny of his money it is the knowledge of these facts that rankles and adds a dash of bitterness to his final triumph to sum up this brief review of mr herrick's past achievements the general impression that they make upon the critical mind is that granting their strength their subtle understanding of life their admirable lights and shades their frequent splendid brilliancy of description they after all suggest not so much an accomplishment as an apprenticeship to something bigger and higher to be sure they are american unmistakably so the product of keen interest and intimate understanding of the conditions of life in this country and more specifically of life in the big progressive middle west and considered as individual volumes stories of separate human lives little groups of humanity working out their individual destinies they deserve to stand high in the list of the best fiction our writers have produced in the last decade but from the first volume to the last we cannot escape the impression that mr herrick's dominant interest is in something beyond the mere story he has to tell that his ideal of fiction is to present through the medium of individual men and women the big basic problems on which depend the welfare of a people and what is more so to present them as to force the reader whether he will or not to take thought of them hitherto however he has not been ready to accomplish on a big scale the sort of novel of which he has so evidently dreamed the novel of wide sweeping zolaesque magnitude with its symbolic title its crowded canvas its motley panorama of human lives central ideas he has had to be sure and his titles as well as his themes have not been lacking in symbolism but there was a certain vagueness about them a lack of specific intent one might without serious injustice shuffle his titles and redistribute them in a general way the central characters in all these books are struggling in the web of life learning their lesson of disillusion from the real world rebelling against the common lot and thirsting for the gospel of freedom it is curious to see how with each successive book mr herrick has broadened his field of vision as his knowledge of life has widened how he began as a psychologue of the school of bourget and henry james and little by little swung around to the freer more objective methods of the realist caring less and less for the vivisection of a human heart under a microscope and more and more for tracing the orbit of an ethical problem through a telescope sooner or later those who had faith in him felt sure that mr herrick would produce a really big book perhaps the first of a series of big books and suddenly and rather sooner than was expected he justified this belief with together his fine sane fearless study of american marriage it may be said with some assurance that no american novel of such ambitious purpose and such a sweeping amplitude of outlook has been written since frank norris gave us the opening volumes of his epic of the wheat and no such relentless probing into the subtle characteristics of american womanhood since robert grant precipitated a war of critics over unleavened bread and there is this important distinction to be made in favor of mr harrick's book that whereas robert grant gave us in selma white just one memorable type the author of together has given us a score of types every one of them undeniably surprisingly triumphantly true and essentially american As we have already seen, throughout the wide diversity of his themes, one of Mr. Herrick's persistent preoccupations is the tragedy of mismated marriage. Sometimes, as in the gospel of freedom, the woman simply mistook for love her unbounded enthusiasm for the man's fighting strength, his virile power to achieve success. Sometimes, as in the real world, she makes the more sordid and less pardonable blunder of thinking that wealth and social prestige will compensate her for the absence of love sometimes as in the common lot she loves not the actual man whom she has married but a figment of her imagination an ideal that she has created in his image and when one day he stands revealed and she sees him as he is the whole universe crumbles miserably to pieces around her in comparison however with together all these earlier themes take on the aspect of preparatory studies trials of strength as it were preparing the way to his first big unqualified achievement there is no useful purpose to be served by attempting to analyze the central story of together like l'argent or la samoire it has no central plot in the usual conventional sense but just as zola's novels are the embodiment of some big symbolic idea frenzied finance personified by the bourse intemperance by the wine-shop earth's universal motherhood by the soil so robert herrick has for his central figure the personification of marriage the married life of isabel price and john long with whose wedding the volume opens leaving them henceforth man and wife before the law before their kind one and one and yet not two is obviously not intended by the author to be more typical or more significant than the score of other marriages of which he unveils for us the intimate joys and griefs every well-composed canvas must have its central group its focal point towards which its significant lines converge but in together we must bear in mind that it is not isabel price who is the real protagonist but marriage with a capital m the symbolic figure of american wifehood. graphic as the picture is of this particular couple's first mistakes their temporary and makeshift readjustment and their slow reluctant awakening to actualities this special side of the book considered as an individual human story is only a fragment an unfinished pattern a single thread in the intricate and complex fabric of human lives that the author has patiently and splendidly woven it is not the individual nature of isabel price that we remember as we call to mind those bold opening chapters which are probably the most thought-compelling portrayal of a young couple crossing the threshold of married life that any author has given since maupassant wrote his unforgettable pages in une vie she stands for us simply as the average type of young american womanhood entering blithely unthinkingly unwarned upon the most serious obligations of life more engrossed in the guests the presence the fit of her wedding gown the brilliant social function of which for the moment she is the centre than she is in the years of intimate companionship that lie before her and then after all has been done as ordained by the church according to the rules of society and it remains for man and wife to make of it what they would or could the inevitable awakening comes and they look into each other's eyes as countless thousands of wedded couples have done before them and realize that they are looking into the eyes of strangers it is not on this particular couple that our gaze should be focused as we read but on those countless couples that preceded them and the countless other couples that are fated to follow the crucial point is not the mere fact that this particular marriage was a mistake but that it was one of the millions of mistakes women make out of the girlish guess mistakes arising from blind ignorance of self and life in short the recurrent burden of robert herrick's theme is the hidden insistent inevitable tragedy underlying countless married lives the tragedy so often summed up carelessly even scornfully with the flippant euphemism of incompatibility a plunge in the dark, a bewildered awakening, a losing fight for readjustment, an inevitable revulsion such is Mr. Herrick's epitome of thousands of marriages the world over. And while this holds true for the world at large, the conditions, he seems to think, are peculiarly aggravated in America. Our lives here are lived to a great extent at fever heat. The husbands tend more and more to consume their vitality in ceaseless nerve racking strife for more and ever more wealth and power and the wives are daily sacrificing to vanity and pleasure social leadership and browning societies more and more of the obsolescent virtue of domesticity but it would be a mistake to assume that mr herrick finds no happy marriages in america or even that he would assert that the happy marriage is a rare exception the reproach which has been too frequently made against together namely that by assembling a score or more of ill-mated couples truant husbands erring wives the whole sad gamut of incompatibility infidelity and the divorce courts he has shown a distorted perspective a false sense of proportion really rests on no firmer ground than a similar reproach against uncle tom's cabin la and every other big epic study of ethical problems mr herrick is here studying unhappy marriages not happy ones and with the latter type he has no more concern than the pathologist engaged in a research of malarial germs has with healthy human beings or healthy mosquitoes and equally mistaken is the effort to find in together a remedy for matrimonial discord mr herrick simply records a certain number of typical cases he attempts no solution he merely gives us the facts and says in effect here is what i find think this over for yourselves how to remedy the prevailing lack of common interest between husband and wife the men engrossed in the great game of amassing wealth the women equally engrossed in the game of spending it the decrease in domesticity in motherhood in the old-fashioned family affection and loyalty these are conditions which he depicts without bias and without comment but with the calm assurance of one who is certain of his facts and of the high moral worth of his purpose and for this reason together is a book which whatever may be its relative value as a contribution to literature belongs as regards the spirit in which it is conceived in the category of zola's Fecundite and tolstoy's Kreutzer sonata it seemed reasonable to assume after a triumph of such magnitude that our author's course was definitely laid, at least for some years to come that together was the harbinger of a lengthening series of similar vigorous studies of the crucial problems in our busy arduous american life of to-day handled with the same fearless and robust naturalism for this reason when a life for a life was published it could scarcely fail to bring to a good many of its authors sincere well-wishers something of a shock when readers who had hitherto not been in sympathy with mr herrick's aims and achievements permitted themselves to say somewhat patronizingly that a life for a life was in a distinctly different vein from many of his previous work and that he seemed at last to be really in earnest it was only natural that his admirers should approach the book with rather sombre misgivings here was a writer who for twelve years had produced very nearly an annual volume every one of which had borne witness that he was not merely in earnest but just about as earnest as humanly speaking it is possible for a writer to be earnest that is in his determination to handle the big truths of life as frankly and sincerely as lay within his power and to satisfy his own conscience regarding the substance and the method of his work unmindful whether the general public liked it or not he had steeped himself in the theories and practice of the continental school as opposed to the english and american that was the real secret of his fearlessness and his strength if now for the first time he had so altered his method that any reader could make the mistake of attributing to him a new-born earnestness it could mean only one thing that he had begun to obtrude his own personal opinions that to some extent at least he had lost that purely objective attitude which has always been one of his chief assets and this was precisely what had happened. A life for a life is as radical a departure from the substance and the method of *Together* as in Zola's case, *Les Quatre Evangiles* were from the substance and method of *Les Rougeon macquart It was small wonder that to many a reader the volume brought keen disappointment. Small wonder that a review like the London Academy found itself gravely saying, "It is rather baffling when we remember the high standard attained by Mister. Herrick in *Together*." a book which seemed to hold clear indications of a masterpiece later on to find that in his latest volume he lapses almost into mediocrity yet on the other hand there were those who hailed a life for a life as the author's high-water mark it contained scarcely anything likely to offend those poor squeamish souls who shrank from the fine honesty of together it dealt with what newspapers like to speak of as live issues and the one fault of construction in its closely interwoven plot is that it is too careful too symmetrical to ring true what then is the matter with the book the answer is so simple and so obvious that if you cannot see for yourself there is small use in trying to point it out to you mr herrick has made that disastrous mistake that many another and bigger novelist has made before him of becoming more interested in his text than in his story Of losing his clear perception of men and women in his sociological theories about man and woman, of blurring his whole picture because he tries to paint the universe at once. What he has undertaken to do, so far as one may venture to expound his purpose, is to crowd into the limits of a single canvas the sum total of those social and economic questions that are today responsible for most of our national unrest. It involves problems as wide apart as the curbing of the trusts, the suppression of anarchy the justification of trade unions the regulating of the social evil it covers a vaster field than even uncle tom's cabin for although that book dealt with a problem nationwide in interest it at least narrowed down to a single question with but two possible answers a life for a life propounds a score of questions each with more size than can readily be counted in all modern fiction only one other volume comes to mind so all-embracing in its summing up of existing social conditions zola's paris and paris does not occupy a high place in the life-work of emile Zola. in undertaking to epitomize a life for a life one feels something of that awkwardness which is experienced in an attempt to pick up any rather bulky object that seems to protrude an uncomfortable number of points and angles here however in a brief and somewhat ragged abstract is the substance of it hugh grant a foundling indebted to his foster father even for the name he bears leaves his country home yields to the lure of the city the author nowhere says that the city in question is new york but his local colour fits no other place on the terrestrial globe the city's wealth and power are symbolized in the person of alexander arnold banker and multimillionaire who gives hugh a chance for no better reason than that arnold had once known the elder grant and incidentally cheated him out of a fortune hugh finds lodgings almost directly beneath a mammoth electric advertising sign that perpetually flashes the word success into the eyes of men incidentally he forms a friendship with a man at war with society who is known to the reader by no other name than the anarch also he meets a sweatshop girl a certain young jewess named mina and witnesses the hideous accident by which she is maimed for life and driven into what mr kipling has called the oldest profession in the world these details sound fragmentary that is the inevitable penalty of overcrowding a pattern now arnold banker and millionaire maker and destroyer of men likes young grant and proceeds to try him out by sending him west and using him as the tool with which to acquire certain vast western properties consolidate amalgamate play all the tricks of the big financial game heedless of the trail of ruin that the process may leave in its wake hugh being what he is fails to live up to arnold's expectations he is too clean-minded or has breathed too much clean western air or if you please he is as arnold thinks too big a fool to succeed in the modern business struggle then there is still another complicating factor like polonius arnold has a daughter and like hamlet young grant harps upon her like hamlet also when the time comes for him to accept the good things of life that are offered to him he practically tells her get thee to a nunnery because to win her means acceptance of modern economic conditions and to this he cannot bring himself having symbolized all the varied strata of society all the warring creeds and doctrines of the economic world mr herrick obviously felt the need of some impressive spectacular climax some titanic convulsion of nature which like the destruction of sodom and gomorrah would symbolize the wiping out of the old order of things and the ushering in of a new this he accomplishes by the simple device of transferring the san francisco earthquake and fire to new york city victorially his presentment of the vast upheaval of a metropolis the clamor of men and the crash of falling buildings The writhings of massed humanity in their death throes leaves nothing to be desired. But what one does resent is that nice subservience of chance which obligingly lets all the characters in the book meet one another at the psychic moment in the midst of chaos. Hugh, shaken from bed in the cosmic crash, casually wanders out through reeling streets, meets Mina, the woman of the gutter, and exchanges with her what Homer would have called winged words, then moves onward through showers of stone and sheets of flame and casually rescues from a mob arnold's daughter alexandra then follow more winged words in the course of which the girl rises to the heights of unselfishness that he once had vainly demanded of her and he explains that it is now too late since he is a sick man dying of cancer moving onward along more reeling streets they reach her father's bank where alexandra learns that her husband i forgot to mention that she had married her father's partner lies dead in the safe deposit vault smothered by the very mechanism provided to protect his wealth her father meanwhile is speeding eastward in his automobile toward the brooklyn bridge plowing a juggernaut course through frenzied mobs when just on the threshold of safety the anarch who turns out to be old arnold's disowned son arises out of darkness an avenging nemesis springs into the machine swings it around and drives himself and his father back to their fate in the flame-swept city as above pointed out the effect of this synopsis is to leave an irritating sense of detached fragments and that is precisely the sense one gets from the book itself it conveys the impression not of a vast complex closely reticulated scheme of society but of a handful of individuals afloat in some sort of an attenuated social medium who by some strange law of attraction miraculously meet each other under seemingly impossible circumstances picture for a moment the chaos of a mammoth city overwhelmed by earthquake and by fire a man might go mad at such a time impotently seeking the loved ones whom he could not find mr herrick simply lost his sense of reality in the latter part of his book it is a thing he never did before and one sincerely hopes that he will never do it again much symbolism it would seem hath made him mad and furthermore it is an obscure symbolism that leaves the reader groping this then to-day is the position of robert herrick for nearly a score of years he has been true to a definite ideal writing to please himself regardless of popular approval and through pleasing himself he attained at last in together that pleasantest of victories a popular endorsement of his own methods and standards and then suddenly, inexplicably, he chooses to fling aside the victories attained, abandon a hard-won battlefield, and branch off in a new direction to fight on untried ground. It is to be hoped, not only for his own sake, but for the greater good of American fiction, that before it is too late, Mr. Herrick will go back again to the firm ground of his acknowledged victories. End of chapter seven.